Good morning, everyone. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 2. Expectations, we all have them. I, uh, is, you know, one of the things that we do as pastors, we better make sure that we understand some certain words. So I had to look up the definition of expectation to make sure that I've got it right. And of course, as only Webster's can, it says it's the act of expecting. I know. Expectations really, they're a hoped for, almost uh, wished upon outcomes of specific situations. And we all have them, and they come in different shapes and sizes, and some of them are big, and some of them are small. Some of them are pretty grandiose, and some of them are very practical. Some are very, very uh, ostentatious, and others are subdued. Um, and we all have them. We all have them. And we've got expectations of, you know, our sports teams. Uh, I fully expect my football team to get trounced today against the Rams. Uh, there are, but we also have expectations of, on a really more serious note, of expectations of our spouses. We've got expectation of our children. We have expectation of our coworkers and our friends, uh, our extended family. All of these are, are expectations we have that people should act and behave and, and, and things should come to a conclusion that I like, that I have thought about. We have expectations about you know, our parenting style and even how we were parented. And we have expectations of our communities. We have expectations of our government. And we even have expectations of our church of things that, that we expect. We, we, we think that should, how things should be done because of so many things, because of X, Y, and Z. There's some expectations that are very, very reasonable. You know, if I put the work in and, and, and I'm really working on this and, and uh, I expect there to be a favorable outcome, there are other times where expectations are not reasonable. You know, I haven't put the work in, I haven't studied, but I really hope that I can pass this test. Well, you know, I don't know what to tell you there, pal. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. You know, there's sometimes where expectations and, and, they, and they just kind of, expectations reality, they just kind of blur together and it's very, very smooth and it's, it's great. And there's kind of like, yeah, the way it should happen. There's a little bit of celebration. But there's also, also those times when the expectation and reality, they don't blend together. They come together and then such a violent force that the expectations just totally get blown up. And what do we do in those moments? What do we do when expectation and reality collide and our expectations are left on the ground? Those are the times that we really find ourselves reeling against things, and asking those deep, hard questions. What, what happened? Where's God? Why did this happen? All of these things. When we look at the birth narrative of Jesus, I will tell you it is a great look at expectation. Expectation of what the Jewish community thought the Messiah should be in the reality of who the Messiah is. The irony in all of this is that 
God, from the very beginning, made it very clear who the Messiah would be. But this is one of the things with expectations. The longer we expect something, the larger it becomes, and the more we hang our hope and our dreams and our aspirations on a specific outcome. Now, you can say whatever you want about Tom Brady, but he's got more Super Bowl rings than any other quarterback. It doesn't mean that I like him, but I do respect him, all right? Yeah. One of the things that he talked about is that he had put so much time, I mean years, and effort into being the very best at his craft that when he won his first Super Bowl, there was great excitement. But within hours of holding up the Vince Lombardi trophy, he finds himself alone in a hotel room thinking, I thought it would be more. And as he goes on, he tells, the next day he's out on the practice field trying again thinking that maybe next year, if we can win next year, it'll be better. When we think about this, when we think of the birth story, the narrative of Jesus being born, we have to put ourselves in the shoes of the community at the time in which Jesus came. We need to understand that Israel had been waiting for their Messiah, their salvation, their deliverer for four hundred years. We have this period that we call the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament where for 400 years God was silent to the people of Israel. The people of Israel knew that there would be a Messiah. They just had no idea when it was. And they also, as time grew on, that idea of who and how the Messiah should be began to grow. See, they had the history of Israel. They knew of King David, arguably the best king that Israel had ever had. He was a warrior. And so our Messiah is going to come as a warrior. He's going to come as a field general. He's going to come as a special operator. They had the history of Samson, one of the judges, who was just a massive dude. You know, bench pressing, you know, six million pounds, something like that, okay? He's just a big, beastly guy. So our Savior is going to be this muscular, strong, overpowering person. They had the history of Solomon and all of his splendor and all of his riches, And they also had the great history of Moses, that Moses went before Pharaoh, went before kings with the staff that God had given him, and he drops it down on the ground, bam, let my people go. See, that was the expectation that Israel had of their Savior. Isaiah writes about the suffering servant in a messianic passage God makes it very, very clear who the Messiah is going to be and how Israel's actually going to view them. But they don't remember that. They lose sight of that. These are the words that Isaiah used 
in chapter 53. There, there. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Think about this. This is, this is the Messiah. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Now listen, over 400 years, is that what you're thinking, that your Messiah, your Savior is going to be? When you've got all this rich history of how God put specific people in Israel's history for specific reasons to bring salvation to the people. For 400 years, they have been waiting for the Messiah. And so when we read the birth narrative, we shouldn't be shocked that Israel was like, what? Luke chapter 2. Let's look, let Luke tell us how benign this story is. Luke says, in those days, Caesar Augusta issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire, uh, the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came and the baby was born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Tell me that doesn't sound, if your expectations are of a warrior and a deliverer and all of this, and you hear these words, why would you not miss the Messiah? If my ex expectations are here, but they come in down here, I am not going to look at that. But again, it's the only narrative that we know, so it's easy for us to see the scene. We see the barn we see the animals. Some of us, we can, even, we can even smell, we can hear the sounds. Silent Night, the word, the song itself, it talks about that the Savior is tender and mild. That's not a Savior. That's not a warrior. That's not a beast of a man. That's not somebody who goes before kings with a staff and goes, let my people go. But that's the Messiah. That's the Jesus. The song goes on. Silent Night holy night. Shepherds quake at the sight. Now think about this. If Jesus is, if the Messiah is coming on the scene, who should the Messiah come to? 
It should be kings. It should be religious leaders. It should be wealthy. It should be power, powerful, and it should be the influential. But who hears of the birth of the Messiah first? The outcasts, the lowly. Shepherds were thought of as one of the lowest jobs ever. They were often considered thieves because a lot of them were. It was an insignificant role, except for when you needed a Passover lamb. They lived out in the fields. They were smelly. They were unkept. They were ruly. They were rude. They were obnoxious. But yet, God chose to use them. Luke says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. See, these shepherds, <clears throat> these shepherds were unlearned, they had no power. They had no authority. And I will tell you what. In many ways, we are just like them. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 2, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I will tell you this, that we are the lonely, and that's okay. We are the weak. We are the ones that are in need of a savior. There is something about when we come to the end of ourselves and we realize that we have nothing of value to bring before a holy God. I stand, we stand, all of us stand in front of a holy God with nothing. And yet he still accepts us. We are the shepherds. We are the outcasts. But yet, Jesus came for us. The Messiah came for us. Luke will tell us later on that Jesus came not for the healthy, but he came for those that are sick. That's us. Silent night goes on. Silent night, holy night, son of God loves pure light. Radiant beams, bring, uh, beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Luke says it this way. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And listen, the people of the time, the Jews at the time, Israel at that time, they did not see Jesus coming with redeeming grace. They came, they hoped, they wished that he would come because they were looking for retribution. Not redeeming grace. I want to be redeemed from the thumb of Rome. I want to be redeemed from being a slave. I want to be redeemed from not having independence. I want to be wealthy. I want to have peace. I want to do what I want to do. 
They were looking for a savior that would wipe out people. Jesus did not come with fire and brimstone. He did not come with punishment. He did not come with overwhelming force. Instead, he came humbly. He came as a human. And he made himself vulnerable. Silent night, holy night. Wondrous star, lend thy light. With the angels, let us sing alleluia to our king. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. Luke finishes this section, and we all know it because most of us have seen the Snoopy or the Peanuts Christmas special. Suddenly, a great company. So we went from a single angel to a great army of angels. And I imagine the skies broke open. A great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with that angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The Savior has been born. This is the deal. Just like everybody that has gone before us and everybody that will come after us, everyone, all of us have an expectation of who Jesus is. Everybody has an expectation of who Jesus is. And I will tell you that the Jewish people at the time missed Jesus. They missed because he didn't fit into the idea of who the Messiah was supposed to be. John, in the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, he says this. He was in the world, speaking of Jesus, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. If we read this, Jesus said, it says that, came, that Jesus came and dwelt among his people. That word dwelt means tabernacle, which is an idea of a tent. Jesus pitched his tent in the middle of everyone. It was a temporary place to live. But he came and he placed himself right in the middle of people. Some saw him. But those whose expectations were all out of whack missed him. And I will tell you, one of the biggest reasons is, is because he didn't come with all the fanfare and all the extravagance that they thought that he should have. As the Grinch told us, Jesus came without ribbons. And he came without tags. He came out without packages, boxes, and bags. It wasn't exciting. It wasn't frilly. I will tell you this. There is absolutely nothing extravagant about Jesus. There is nothing extravagant about Jesus except the depth of his love for us. That the God of the universe would come and be with us. The God of the universe would put on flesh, 
Last week, Pastor Adam talked about Philippians chapter 2. I love Philippians chapter 2. It's called the kenosis passage. This idea, verses 1 through 10, of Jesus pouring himself out, God pouring himself out on behalf of man. He left the splendor of heaven, came to earth in humanity and humility and absolute vulnerability and became one of us so that he could understand us, that we would appreciate who he is and what he's done for us. The Hebrew, Hebrew writer says that Jesus understands us completely in every way. And just as we have been tested, he too has been tested. He is our savior. He is not a savior, he is the savior. And whatever your expectations are of Jesus, we should revamp those if they are not appropriate and see him for who he is. He is God in flesh. He is our savior. And it is his favor that rests upon us. And the gift that we get is peace. You know, when our expectations of who Jesus is comes in conflict with what we thought he was, it can be devastating. Some of you, some of us, no kidding, thought that when we accepted Jesus, when Jesus becomes part of my life, I'm in the money. Yeah. Now, I don't know about y'all. I ain't seen the money yet. But that's okay. I am not about this prosperity gospel. I think that is false. It is false. I know it's false. Some of us think that we'll have endless wealth and endless health and endless wellness until cancer comes along or until the diagnosis comes along. And then we begin to question, how can a holy God allow this to happen to me? How about this? God knows this and we live in a fallen world and he is with us and he is walking with us and he is mindful of us and his favor is with us. And you know what? If it doesn't come to the way that I expect it, guess who's going to welcome me into heaven? It will be Jesus. It will be God the Father. I buried two parents. I buried fraternity brothers and friends. I buried kids that played baseball for me. Yes, our expectations get dashed on the rocks. We think that nothing bad will happen to us. We think, and this one scares me too because I've been there I don't need to be accountable. I've been baptized, I've done the dip for the trip, let's go. That's not how it works. Again, Jesus is, does not conform to our expectations. He helps rewrite ours in a clear light.
So when we hear the song, Silent Night, this is what I want us to do. And I think it's one of the reasons why we love this song so much. I don't know anybody, and maybe, maybe there's one person here. I don't know anybody that hears Silent Night and goes, oh, I can't stand that song. What makes it so beautiful that as we read in scripture, as we hear this song of worship, we can experience the stillness of the birth narrative. It reminds us of the humility of our God, of Jesus. It reminds us that we, like the shepherds, are the lowly. And he came to us. It reminds us of the simplicity and the redemption of grace. Of grace. And it also sets the tone and the reality that God's favor, not his punishment, God's favor rests upon us. See, that's the birth narrative. That's the beauty of Silent Night. That's the beauty of the barn scene. That's the beauty of seeing our Savior wrapped in rags, laying in a feeding trough in a barn. That's humility. That's humanity. That's vulnerability. And that's love. Extravagant love. So I don't know where you are. I don't know what your expectation of Jesus has been. I think all of us, at some point or another, our expectations of Jesus and the reality of who he is, they've collided. And when they collide like that, our expectations get busted and broken and shattered. And they need to be. Because they're unrealistic. What if we actually take Jesus for who he is and let us accept that the gift that he wants us is peace. This is the good news that caused the heavens to break open for light to shine down and for the dirty and the lowest to hear the proclamation, glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth, peace 
to those on whom his favor rests. Father God, we come to you and we close today <clears throat> and we're thankful for the words that were written by a man almost 200 years ago as he tried to, in his own way, to experience and reflect upon the beauty that was, that is the birth narrative. Thank you for those words and thank you for the, the tune that was written to it. But most importantly, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have explained to us the depth and the extravagance of your love for us. Thank you that you are mindful of us. Good grief. Thank you that your favor rests upon us. God, you know everyone here. You know their hearts. And you know those that are online and their hearts and the struggles that they are. You know our expectations. And you know those that are, that are spot on and those that need to be dashed. And Lord, those that need to be dashed, let them be shattered. But let us not be shattered with them. Instead, may we re-examine you and allow you to rebuild us in your image with your wisdom and your discernment. God, I know that there are people here that are hurting I'm asking that you would fill them with your peace today. I know that there are those here that need community and need to be prayed with and prayed over. And so, God, I'm asking that we as a church would do that for them as well. And last of all, Lord, I know that there are people here that for whatever reason, unrealistic false expectations have never accepted you. But today their heart is beating out of their chest and you are speaking to them. God, if there is anyone that can hear my voice today that is feeling that way, that is experiencing you knocking and knocking and knocking on the door of their heart, would they surrender? If that's you today, I'm asking you would pray this simple prayer. God, I am a sinner in need of thee, Savior. Lord, I am allowing you, I am asking you, I am setting myself aside for you to enter and be Savior and be Lord. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.